0: Listeners, it is Folio Day. It's four hundred years since the publication of Shakespeare's First Folio, and because we know you will love Shakespeare so much, we've put together a little treat for you. So, what follows is a selection of our favourite scenes, our favourite monologues and soliloquies from Shakespeare's plays. I hope you enjoy.
1: Julius Caesar, Act Three, Scene to mark antony friends romans countrymen lend me your ears i come to bury caesar not to praise him the evil that men do lives after them the good is often interred with their bones so let it be with caesar the noble brutus hath told you caesar was ambitious if it was so it was a grievous fault and grievously hath caesar answered it here under leave of brutus and the rest for brutus is an honorable man so Are they all, all honourable men? Come I to speak in Caesar's funeral. He was my friend, faithful and just to me. But Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honourable man. He hath brought many captives home to Rome, whose ransoms did the general coffers fill. Did this in Caesar seem ambitious? When that the poor have cried, Caesar hath wept. Ambition should be made of sterner stuff. Yet Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honourable man. You all did see that on the Lupercal, I thrice presented him a kingly crown, which he did thrice refuse. Was this ambitious? Yet Brutus says he was ambitious. And sure, he is an honourable man. I speak not to disprove what Brutus spoke, but here I am to speak what I do know. You all did love him once, not without cause. What cause withholds you then to mourn for him? O judgment, thou art fled to brutish beasts, and men have lost their reason. Bear with me. My heart is in the coffin there with Caesar, and I must pause till it come back to me.
0: I have two monologues to read for you. The first is from *Measure for Measure*, Act Three, Scene One. It is spoken by Isabella. Um, so this scene comes after she's been given an ultimatum by Angelo, who is a government official, where she can either sleep with him and Absolve her brother of his crimes, or not do that, and her brother will be put to death in the morning. To whom should I complain? Did I tell this, who would believe me? O perilous mouths that bear in them one and the selfsame tongue, either of condemnation or of proof, bidding the law make curtsy to their will, hooking both right and wrong to the appetite to follow as it draws. i to my brother. Though he have fallen by prompture of the blood, yet hath he in him such a mind of honour that had he twenty heads to tender down on twenty bloody blocks, he'd yield them up before his sister should her body stoops to such abhorred pollution. Then Isabel live chaste, and brother die. More than our brother is our chastity. I'll tell him yet of Angelo's request, and fit his mind to death for his soul's rest.
2: And then she goes and tells her brother that he has to die. This is Antony and Cleopatra, Act 2, Scene 2. And O'Barris' monologue uh, describing the moment that Antony and Cleopatra, well, the moment that Antony fell in love with Cleopatra. I will tell you the barge she sat in like a burnished throne burned on the water the poop was beaten gold purple the sails and so perfumed that the winds were lovesick with them the oars were silver which to the tune of flutes kept stroke and made the water which they beat to follow faster as amorous of their strokes for her own person beggared all description She did lie in her pavilion, cloth of gold, of tissue, or picturing that Venus where we see the fancy outwork nature. On each side her stood pretty dimpled boys like spins, with diverse colored fans, whose wind did seem to glow the delicate cheeks which they did cool, and what they undid did. Her gentlewoman, like the Nerides, so many mermaids tended her in the eyes and made their bends adorning at the helm a seeming mermaid steers the silken tackle swell with the touches of those flower-soft hands that yearly frame the office from the barge a strange invisible perfume hits the sense of the adjacent wharfs the city cast her people out upon her and antony Enthroned in the marketplace did sit alone, whistling to the air, which but for vacancy had gone to gaze on Cleopatra too, and made a gath in nature. Upon her landing, Antony sent to her, invited her to supper. She replied it would be better he became her guest which she entreated, our courteous Anthony, who ne'er the word of no woman heard speak, being barbered ten times o'er to the feast, and for his ordinary pays his heart for what his eyes eat only. I saw her once hop forty paces through the public street, and having lost her breath, she spoke and panted that she did make defect perfection, and breathless Power breathe forth. Never, he will not. Age cannot wither her, nor customs stale her infinite variety. Other women cloy the appetites they feed, but she makes hungry where most she satisfies. For vilest things become themselves in her, that the holy priests bless her when she is riggish.
0: This monologue is from The Tempest, which is another one of Shakespeare's problem plays, in that it's not a comedy and it's not a tragedy. This is from Act One, Scene Two, and it's said by Caliban, who is basically Prospero's slave, and it tells Caliban's version of events on Prospero's coming to the island. This island's mine, by Sycorax, my mother, which thou takest from me, when thou camest first, thou strokedst me and made much of me, and wouldst give me water with berries in it, and teach me how to name the bigger light and how the less that burn by day and night. And then I loved thee and showed thee all the qualities of the isle, the fresh springs, brine pits, barren place and fertile. Cursed be that I did so. All the charms of Sycorax, toads, beetles, bats, light on you. For I am all the subjects that you have, which first was mine own king. And here you me in this hard rock, whilst you do keep from me the rest of the isle. Poor Caliban. <laughs> he deserves so much better than what he's given. Romeo and Juliet, Act two, scene two. Juliette, who is waiting for the nurse to come back with news of the planned marriage of Romeo. The clock struck nine when I did send the nurse. In half an hour she promised to return. The chance you can't meet him, that's not so. Oh she is lame. Love's heralds should be thoughts, which ten times faster glide than sun's beams, driving by shadows over loring hills. thought the do nimble pinion dove stroller, and therefore have the winds with cupid wings. Now is the sun upon the highmost hill of this day's journey, and from nine to twelve is three long hours, and yet she is not come. Had she affections and warm youthful blood, she would be a swift emotion as swift in motion as a ball. My words of bandy has my sweet love, and his to me. But old folks, many fain as they were dead, unwieldy, slow, heavy, and pale as lead. Oh God, she comes! Oh, honey nurse, what news?
1: King near Act One, Scene Two. Edmund. Thou, nature, art my goddess. To thy law my services are bound. Wherefore should I stand in the plague of custom and permit the curiosity of nations to deprive me, for that I am some twelve or fourteen moonshine's lag of a brother? Why, bastard, wherefore base? When my dimensions are as well compact, my mind as generous, my shape as true as honest madam's issue, why brand they ask with base, with baseness, bastardy, base, base? Who in the lusty stealth of nature take more composition and fierce quality than doth within a dull, stale, tired bed go to the creating a whole tribe fops got between asleep and wake? Well, then, legitimate Edgar, I must have your land. Our father's love is to the bastard Edmund, as to the legitimate. Fine word, legitimate. Well, my legitimate, if this letter speed and my invention thrive, Edmund, the base, shall top the legitimate. I grow, I prosper. Now, gods, stand up for bastards!
3: Scottish Play, Act 1, Scene 7, spoken by the title character. Uh, Macbeth, but what don't say that, okay? Yeah, okay. If it were done when 'tis done, then twere well. If it were done quickly, if the assassination can trample up the consequence and catch with his surcease success, that but this blow might be the be-all and end-all here, But here, upon this bank and shoal of time, we jump the life to come. But in these cases, we still have judgment here, that we but teach bloody instructions, which being taught, we turn to plague the inventor. This even-handed justice commends the ingredients of our poison chalice to our own lips. He's here in double trust. First, as I am his kinsman and his subject, both strong against the deed, then, as his host, who should against his murderer shut the door, not bear the knife myself? Besides, this Duncan half-born, his faculties so meek, have been so clear in his great office that his virtues will plead like angels, trumpet-tongued against the deep damnation of his taking off. In pity, like a naked newborn babe, striding the blast, or heaven's cherubim, Horsed upon the sightless couriers of the air Shall blow the horrid deed in every eye That tears shall drown the wind I have no spur to pick the sides of my intent But only vaulting ambition Which o'erleaps itself and falls on the other
2: This is from Antony and Cleopatra Act 5, Scene 2 sir i will eat no meat i'll not drink sir if idle talk will once be necessary i'll not sleep neither this mortal house i'll ruin do caesar what he can know sir that i will not wait pinioned at your master's court nor once be chastised with the sober eye of dull octavia Shall they hoist me up and show me to the shouting varlatry of censuring Rome? Rather a ditch in Egypt be gentle grave unto me. Rather on Nihilus's mud lay stark naked and let the waterflies blow me into abhorring. Rather make my country's high pyramids my gibbet and hang me up in chains. Richard II. Act
1: Two, Scene one, John of Gaunt. Methinks I am a prophet, new inspired, and thus expiring do foretell of him: his rash, fierce blaze of riot cannot last, for violent fires soon burn out themselves. Small showers last long, but sudden storms are short. He tires betimes that spurs too fast betimes, with eager feeding food doth choke the feeder, light vanity. Insatiate cormorant, consuming means soon prey upon itself. This royal throne of kings, this sceptred isle, this earth of majesty, this seat of Mars, this other Eden, demi paradise, this fortress built by nature for herself against infection and the hand of war, this happy breed of men, this little world. This precious stone set in the silver sea, which serves it in the office of a wall, or as a moat defensive to a house, against the envy of less happier lands. This blessed plot, this earth, this realm, this England, this nurse, this teeming womb of royal kings, feared by their breed and famous by their birth, renowned for their deeds as far from home, for Christian service and true chivalry, as is the sepulchre in stubborn Jewry. Of the world's ransom, blessed Mary's son, this land of such dear souls, this dear, dear land, dear for her reputation through the world, is now leased out, I die pronouncing it, like to a tenement or pelting farm, England, bound in with the triumphant sea, whose rocky shore beats back the envious siege of watery Neptune, is now bound in with shame, with inky blots and rotten parchment bonds that England that was wont to conquer others hath made a shameful conquest of itself. Ah, would the scandal vanish with my life! How happy then were my ensuing death!
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it all the way to the end, congrats! You're officially much stronger than half of our friends. If you're enjoying listening to this podcast, please subscribe so you get notified when we update, or sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash hey underscore i underscore like. We have a direct line to us, the creators. You can also follow us on Tumblr at hey i like, which is all lowercase. That's all for now. See you next time on Hey i Like.